Duke Energy presents Conversations About Living Young with your host, Marina Kears, Executive Director of Hendricks County Senior Services. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us on Conversations About Living Young. My name is Marina Kears. I'm the Executive Director at Hendricks County Senior Services, and our mission is to help older adults live as independently as possible in the home of their choice for as long as possible. We do that in a lot of different ways, and uh, I am excited today to have uh, Jeremy Kimbley with me today from IU Health West Hospital. He's going to be talking with us about heart health and ways that we can improve our heart health and recover if we have a heart incident or heart disease. Um, Jeremy, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. I I really appreciate it. Great. Well, Jeremy's been with IU Health West Hospital for five and a half years. He is an exercise physicist physiologist and cardiac rehabilitation. And he said that it's basically PT for your heart. Is that correct? Yeah. So the basic premise of what we do is if you can think of physical therapy, most Mm -hmm. people know what that is, is we do the same type of thing, except we do it after someone's had some type of cardiovascular issue. Great. Great. Uh, Jeremy is a Hendricks County guy. He grew up in Avon, but went to school at University of Kentucky. So we're glad that he came back to our community to help our uh, seniors and uh, adults who have heart heart disease Mm -hmm. uh, recover well. So um, we're going to start with the basics. So how many people are affected by heart disease? How common are heart issues in our community? So when you think about cardiovascular issues, um, really you have to remember that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer among mm-hmm. all Americans, mm-hmm. whether it be men or women. And really when you look at the statistics, you look at the next four in line, if you take the top five killers of, of Americans, is that it's higher than the next four. Wow. So heart, heart disease in this country is very, very big. Um, and it's not exclusive to one community or another. It's really just across the board. It's a, it's a very big issue. Wow. So what... Um- what are the symptoms? How would somebody know if they have heart disease? So the, the common symptoms that a lot of people th- tend to think about when it comes to cardiovascular disease or someone having a heart attack, as mm-hmm. we say, is that people tend to think that it's pain in the center of the chest that radiates down to their left arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- although that is true in a lot of cases, um, we see patients every day that do not necessarily have those symptoms. Um, some people like to explain that their chest pain kind of feels just like a pressure, like something sitting on your chest chest. It's not necessarily a pain. Uh, A lot of times it's associated with shortness of breath. It's associated with sweating. Um, it doesn't have to be just on your left arm too. Right. You can get pain in your back, a lot of different things when it, when it comes to having that type of, of, of chest pain, as we call it. Um, if it radiates into your neck, if you're getting pain in your chest at all, and it is radiating to your back or to your arms or to your neck, it's probably time that you need to get, make sure you're getting yourself to the emergency room. Okay, good. That's a good tip. Thank you. So what, what causes a heart attack. So what what causes a heart attack is lack of oxygen to the heart. Okay. So that can be due to a number of different different causes. When we think of heart attacks, most people think it's plaque buildup inside mm-hmm. of the arteries that's actually um, lowering the percentage of oxygen that's getting through those arteries. Um, and that's really just done over time. That's mm-hmm. not something that just happens. Um, there are some people that can have a clot, a blood clot get caught inside of, of their artery, and that can also kind of cause the same type of thing. Uh, regardless, it's a lack of 
of oxygen getting to your heart and the pain is, is due to that is that your, your heart's saying, Hey, I need more oxygen and it's just not getting there. So. Okay. Okay. So it's the number one killer of people. So it's, it's very important that we talk about those signs again. So, you know, I've heard a dozen times at least that there's sometimes there can be signs that are different for men than for women. Why don't you start with men? Talk about those traditional signs and symptoms. Then we'll talk about women. Yeah. So, so kind of like I mentioned is, is a lot of it is that chest pain. So Mm -hmm. again, when we think about pain, you're not thinking about just a sharp pain. So a lot of people think it's like a stabbing pain. It's not necessarily that a lot of the times it's actually more of like a dull ache. Um, like a muscle ache. Yeah. Like a kind of like a muscle ache. And a lot of people will tend to hold those things off, especially men. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of times we are much less apt to Mm -hmm. seek medical attention, um, which in the long run is probably the worst thing for you to do. Um, if you think you're having a heart attack, you need to call 911 regardless, but, um, it's that type of pain associated with it radiating anywhere. So into your shoulders, into your back, into your neck, um, as well as anything else. So shortness of breath. So a lot of the patients that I tend to see will say that I, you know, I couldn't walk to the mailbox without getting short of breath. Mm -hmm. If you could do that now and you can't do that in a week, it's probably time that you need to talk to your doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Any of those changes. Mm -hmm. Great. So you, you've, experience those symptoms, you call 911, what should a person expect to happen next? What's the process like to find out, am I or am I not having a heart attack? Yeah. So, so obviously the, the biggest thing in this, if you think you're having a heart attack and I can't get this across enough is you need to call 911. Yeah, you never drive yourself to the hospital ever. And really, you should never have a family member or a friend drive you to the hospital mm-hmm. either. You really need to call 911. Um, and, and why is that? What can they do that your friend can't do if they're behind the wheel? So so the big thing that, that I tend to tell all of our patients is that if someone else is driving you, I can't really do anything. So I'm mm-hmm. trained in cardiovascular health. But if I'm driving you and you were to lose consciousness, there's nothing in the world that I can do for you until I get to the hospital or I pull over on the side of the road right. and do whatever I need to do. Another big thing is I don't have medications at my disposal. Mm-hmm. An, an ambulance would or any, anybody from, from a 911 medical emergency mm-hmm. team would. So Okay. So I called 911. I did the right thing. And I get to the hospital. And then what? So from that point, um, it really depends. So mm-hmm. it, when, when they hook you up to their EKG machine, mm-hmm. which is going to tell us what your heart rhythm's doing. It kind of, type, kind of depends on what type of heart attack you're having. Okay. okay? So um, something that we call as an ST elevation myocardial infarction, or as we call it as a STEMI. Some people mm-hmm. have probably heard of that. That's a more serious heart attack. That is, they need to get you into the catheterization lab and take a look at your arteries and open that thing up now because you're having an active heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, really, a, of the two types of heart attacks you can have, that's really the much more severe one. So okay. if you're having that, you're going to be as having all those associations with the pain, um, all that stuff, shortness of breath, sweating, uh, nausea, or, or getting sick to your stomach, those mm-hmm. sort of things. Um, so they would bypass the emergency room completely. Mm-hmm. You would go straight to the catheterization lab okay. in Indiana Uni- Health, University Health West. We have a 24-hour cath lab, um, which is a wonderful thing for our community because we've seen several patients after that 5 o'clock deadline yeah. that a lot of people see. So it, it's, it's really a big thing for us. Um, but really a bigger, bigger thing for the people, the community. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. great, great. So get you, they can get that checked out. And so then that was the, you know, you said major or more serious mm-hmm. kind of heart attack. So I've heard people say, well, I just had a little heart attack or I had a minor heart attack, yeah. which to me seems uh, kind of a crazy thing to say because it, 
it's still your heart. It's, right. It's still your heart. So what what do they mean if somebody says, well, it's just a minor heart so attack? So this is one of those things that, as I explain it to people, is it, it is, it's still a heart attack, mm-hmm. regardless of how you look at it. Mm-hmm. You still had lack of oxygen, so you caused some irritation to portions of your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's really what a heart attack is. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's another type that we call is a non-ST elevation myocardial okay. infarction, which is essentially when we hook you up to an EKG, we can't necessarily tell that you're having a heart attack right now. So we actually have to draw blood. Okay. So if they, if you are having those, those experiences and you're having chest pain and you come in through the emergency room, what they're going to do is the first thing they're going to do is they're going to draw blood and they're looking for certain type of cardiac markers to tell you if you've, if you're having a heart attack. So okay. at that point, then the doctors are going to say, if you're elevated, then we're going to go ahead and get you to catheterization lab because we need to get these arteries open and get this blood flow moving back to the heart. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. That's fascinating. <laughs> I, um, I think it's important to talk about too. Um, so so let before we get into my next section, let's talk real quickly about what, what are the things that cause a heart attack? So we know it's lack of oxygen to the brain or to the heart, excuse me, but what causes that to happen? What are we doing to ourselves or what happens to us that to make that happen? Yeah. So this is, this is actually a really big topic and one that I tend to talk about probably the most because a lot of the patients that we see come in and say, I don't really know how this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and really when we're talking about that, we're just talking about risk factors. That's okay. all we're talking about. And, and if you look at the list of risk factors, there are about 12. Okay. okay? Um, and really there are four of them that you, myself, anyone else, we can't really do anything about. Okay. So those are things such as family history. Okay. okay? So if you have a family history of heart disease, that is something that tends to run in line uh, all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. So um, when typically when I talk about that, it's immediate family. Family. So grandparents, mothers, fathers, okay. brothers, or sisters. Um, the next one that we talk about is age. Unfortunately, none of us can do anything about our mm-hmm. age, but that is also a risk factor. Okay. So typically about about 60% of heart attacks happen to people over the age of 65. Okay. So as we age, it's something that, that tends to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one that we talk about also um, is uh, sex. So it does happen in men more than it happens in women. Okay. Um, even though the prevalence in women is still kind of on the rise, yeah. but it does happen to men as well more more often than women. So okay. those are the things that really we can't do a whole lot about. Uh, the last one I meant I forgot to mention was the was race also. So okay. race does play a fact and a factor in this as well. Okay. Um, and then we talk about the next eight. Okay. Yeah. So we talk about exercise. We talk about our diet. We talk about if we're overweight. If you have high cholesterol. If you have high blood pressure. Um, those are the types of things that we can control. Mm-hmm. Okay. And another big thing that we're trying to push right now is smoking. Mm-hmm. So that's something that needs to stop completely. Right. Um, and, and we're trying to kind of get that done. I know they're talking about some, some taxation on it, but uh, that's for a different topic. Yeah. But uh, that's another thing. And then alcohol consumption. So okay. those are the, the next eight that we look about. And that's something that you and myself, we can all do something sure. about that. So. And at any age. Yes. Which is yes. really amazing when you think about um, your heart, that things that you do when you're 20, 30, 40, 50 can make a big difference when you're 60, 70, 80, and you don't want to have a heart attack the, the older that you right. are. So. Yeah, absolutely. So of those things that those risk factors, um, I don't know a lot about the heart scans that are available, um, except that they're advertised and uh, I know loved ones that have received gifts for a heart scan Mm -hmm. for a gift. Um, 
do those heart scans help identify any of those risk factors? So yes, they can. Um, And actually, and that's why we try to push them because really, especially if you have some of those risk factors that we can't change or you have some that you can. So if you have high cholesterol, if you have high blood pressure and you have a family history, Mm -hmm. um, those are things that can really tend to catch these a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. what they're looking at is they're looking at the amount of calcium that's in your your bloodstream. Um, And what that can do is that can lead to, hey, this person might be kind of on the risk factor. This is something we need to kind of pay it, pay attention to a little bit more. Okay. Um, they're not a hundred percent accurate. Right. So, and I think that's something that a lot of people will, will claim takes, take to as they'll say, you know, I had a, I had a heart scan a, a month ago and it said that I was clean. Well, that doesn't necessarily show the whole picture. The right. only real way that we can tell is if we go in and we, we take catheterization pictures of the actual vessels of the heart, if mm-hmm. there's something going on. Okay. So. okay. So those heart scans, if you w- went through, you had a, had a heart scan and they, the result was we see that calcium and we, um, then would you be recommended some, some behavioral changes or medication changes and then your doctor would monitor that more closely? How does that work? Yeah, What's the so, end result? Yeah, so that's something typical. So if you have a cardiologist already, okay. then they're going to refer you to the cardiologist. Okay. And the cardiologist is going to make those decisions based on a number of different factors. A lot of what we've already talked about, you know, if you if you have these family history things, if, if you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all those sort of things. Um, but if you don't have a cardiologist, this is something what I see a lot is that the, these, these heart scans have found something and said, hey, something's going on. Let's refer you to a cardiologist so we can take a look at this a little bit more in depth. That would kind of be the next step. So if you had a heart scan, your primary care physician would then in turn refer you to a cardiologist. And is a heart scan something you do one time for your whole life or is it something you do every five years or what do you recommend? So this is something that that comes up a lot too. Mm -hmm. So if if you don't have any cardiovascular disease currently, Mm -hmm. then we would typically recommend depending on your age Mm -hmm. um, to try to get that up done about every five years if you can. Mm -hmm. Okay. So starting at what age? Uh, You know, without family history, you want to start looking at probably 60 or so. Um, If you have family history, maybe a little bit sooner than that. But it also depends on what type of family history. So if you're known to have cardiovascular disease in the 40s of your parents, then it's probably a better time for you to start looking at that stuff earlier and earlier too. Okay. So. And by cardiovascular disease, you don't mean just that, that your parent for in that example had a heart attack, but mm-hmm. that they have a history of any kind of heart of disease. Yes. High cholesterol, high blood pressure. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, that's good to know. So that's probably most people. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you look at statistics, that's, that's quite a few of us. Okay, great. So, um, what in in those risk factors then we know there's some things that you can't control and there's other things that we we certainly can all take a little bit better control over um what's the number one thing that people should be doing to prevent a heart attack so again a common question and yeah. it really depends on what you're doing currently okay so if you are smoking you need to stop okay now i Great. know i kind of mentioned that a little yeah. earlier too but um that's something that needs to stop now i know we're getting a, a kind of a handle on this we're getting mm-hmm. better about it yeah. um which is great but if if not you need to make sure that you're getting the proper diet mm-hmm. um and there are a lot of different ways to go about this american heart association is really good about talking about heart healthy diets and those sort okay. of things um another thing is you need to do is you need to make sure that you're exercising as well which is where a lot of what i do comes in mm-hmm. um but that's something that you need to make sure that you're taking care of. if you're doing those two things you can control about any of the other risk factors that that you have so if you know exercise and diet can control cholesterol mm-hmm. it can control blood pressure it can do all those things um and that's why those two things are the biggest the 
biggest yeah. two outside of the smoking if you are smoking. So, so it's not magic. Correct. It's, it's like so many things, exercise and diet. They, yes. they really do make a big difference. So great. Um, all right. I want to ask you, what, what's your favorite success story? So you see patients when they come in, they've had this life-altering event, a heart attack, and um, and then they have two options. They can either um, follow a plan or you know slide back into old habits, which are really hard to break. So tell me about your favorite success story. So um, I have a lot of them, mm-hmm. but I think that my favorite would definitely be um, we had a patient about three years ago um, that came through, and he was having an active heart attack um, and a pretty severe one. So he had in what a lot of people will call the widow maker, mm-hmm. um, and it's called that for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he, he came in, he did what he was supposed to do. He thought he was having a heart attack. He called 911. Um, so he got to the hospital and they had it, they had a stent inside of his artery within nine minutes of wow. him hitting the door. So mm-hmm. that's something that we call as door to balloon time, which is just how quickly they've opened up that artery. Um, national average, it needs to be under 90 minutes wow. and they did it in nine. nine. So it, it <laughs> was, it was that, that in itself was pretty amazing. And I, and I do think a lot of that had to do with his success in a long term is that sure. he recognized the symptoms and he called 911 as soon as he needed to. Um, and then after that, he actually came to see us in cardiac rehab. Um, he was a guy that was really pretty active. He had a lot of family history and that's probably what led to a lot Mm. of what was going on with him. Um, but he came to us and he was a runner. He was an active guy. And you know, the first two weeks it's, it's a really hard thing to get people to understand that they're not made of glass. So you really have to remember that after you go to that cardiac cath lab, that, uh, your, your, your heart's better off than probably what it was over the last year or so. That would be hard to think mentally process that, that you actually, you, I think you would be afraid. Maybe I don't want to push it too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where we come in is we want to give people the, the peace of mind that they can go back to their activities of daily living, whether Mm -hmm. that be, you just want to be able to take care of yourself at home or whether that be, you really are, or a runner. And and this person was a, he was a runner and he wanted to get back to that. Um, and we eventually got him back to that. I know he's done several different five Ks since this has happened. Um, he's really in in great shape now. And that's, that's just a testament, like I said, to him really doing the right thing originally and then following the plan from there. And that's where the cardiac rehabilitation comes in for a lot of patients too, is after the fact. Yeah. So part of your job is really as like a coach, but also maybe a cheerleader too, to be an encourager and to give people a good advice along the way. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that it's a double-edged sword for Mm -hmm. me because I feel like sometimes it comes a little bit too late because Mm -hmm. they've already had a cardiac event. Um, but after that, it's still important because we also want to be preventative. Mm -hmm. We don't want you to ever have a secondary, secondary, uh, cardiac problem. Um, and that's what we're trying to do really is number one is we're trying to strengthen the muscle up from that irritation Mm -hmm. that's been caused due to the heart attack. And then we're trying to be preventative. So we're trying to put you on the right track, but it's really after after you see us, yeah. it's kind of your job to stay on that track. So how common is it for somebody who has one heart attack to have a second one? Um, it really depends. It depends on if they're controlling their, their, uh, their risk factors okay. from that point. So if you don't change anything... You know, you're you're really looking at probably a forty or fifty percent chance of having wow. another one. Um, if if you do change everything that you've been doing, especially the bad habits, I mean, you can look at sixty percent of the patients don't have another heart attack or a heart event after that because wow. they've changed everything that they needed to do. Great. So. Well, that's super. 
Okay, so um, I think it's interesting, and we work a lot with families, mm-hmm. and so they're family caregivers, whether that's a spouse or a child, and they're so uh, important, the family structure is so important to helping um, people be successful in whatever they're trying to accomplish, whether it's to live independently, recover from a heart attack. So... Um, if, if you're an individual who has a, a family member who's had a heart attack or you did, um, what, what are some things that the family should be doing to help their loved one be successful and to avoid that future heart attack? Yeah, so that's actually a, a, a really good question. Mm-hmm. Something that I tend to like to get families involved with too, mm-hmm. because especially in the house setting, it, it's not just you. Mm-hmm. So everyone in the house needs to change. Yeah. And that's really a, a big point to this. Um, so the easiest thing that you can do is make sure that they're doing what they what their doctors are asking them mm-hmm. to do. So make sure that they're taking their medications, make sure that they're going to their appointments as they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, another thing too, and probably the hardest thing to change is diet. Yeah. So, um, being able to have a, a partner in what you're doing makes everything a whole lot easier. So, yeah. um, you know, getting the family involved in everything and them understanding that, hey, you also now have a risk factor for this too. Right. So we need to make sure that we're controlling this for not just for me, but for also for for my children and, and then my grandchildren and those sort of things. So. Great. Great. Do you have a favorite cookbook or a website that you recommend families go to if they're not sure how to change the way that they prepare foods? Um, in terms of cookbooks, no, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't really follow cookbooks very, very well. <laughs> I'd ask. Um, but I, I do like a lot of the American Heart Association. Um, they do a great job with explaining what, you know, what's good, what's bad. Um, it, it's really not that hard of a formula. Sure. You know, portion control is probably the biggest thing mm-hmm. in, in a lot of, of fresh fruits and vegetables. That's really the, the big thing. Um, you know, not a lot of red meat. Mm-hmm. You, you eat, you know, fish and fish and chicken and that sort of stuff. Um, but really, honestly, the portion control is probably the biggest part of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. Um, so what else can families do to help? Or what do you see families really doing that kind of hinders progress? What are what else suggestions? So uh, one that I tend to see, and again, I, I can't say that enough, is that the smoking. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, somebody will have a heart attack and their spouse smokes as well. Um, and they just continue to do it in front yeah. of them. And that's not really fair to either party. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that if, if one needs to quit, you really need to try to get it done in the, on the whole house. Um, outside of that, be their cheerleader, yeah. you know, tell them that they're doing a great job and, and, and make sure that you're celebrating small successes. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So what are some examples of ways you encourage people to celebrate those small successes? Yeah. So, so one thing, um, for the patient that we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. that the, my success story is that, um, his, his wife was also a runner too. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's something that when he started running, she was like more ecstatic than any of us were. And and I think that that is something that's big Mm -hmm. is that, you know, whether it be you've changed your diet Mm -hmm. or you're taking medications every day and you weren't doing that originally, Mm -hmm. um, just those really small things that really tend to add up and keep us on track. It Mm -hmm. keeps us motivated. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I tend to tell is make sure that when you hit those little milestones, whether it's being, you want to lose a little bit of weight Mm -hmm. and you hit a, you know, you lose five pounds. Hey, that's great, yeah. right? And and you got to remember that you did it, mm-hmm. right? No one else did it. You did that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a big thing. I love that. I love it. I have, you know, every January you have a couple friends that want to quit smoking and then they post 
10 days without a cigarette. That's something to celebrate. So reach out to those other networks because, you know, the whole world wants to celebrate somebody who's willing to give that up and it's not easy. Right. And I think people, you know, if you're asked to change your diet, quit smoking and start exercising, those are three big things that people find a lot of comfort in, Mm -hmm. in in doing or not doing. And so you're really asking somebody to make a pretty dramatic change. And I love the idea of celebrating the small successes. If you celebrate the few pounds, if your goal is 50, but you've lost two, then great. That's, that's 48 less. So um, I love that idea. So um, the other thing that I hear about from individuals and families is that they were not prepared for the mental, the emotional side effects from a heart attack. And so I've even had people say, you know, my spouse is a different person now mentally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, either that they're more optimistic or they're bitter. So what can we do to be mindful of that? Or is that something that you hear about that's common? Yeah. And I love that you brought this up because this is a very under talked about and Mm -hmm. underappreciated topic. Um, This is something that actually, when you look at statistically, so one in four people that have had a cardiovascular event will fall into some sort of depression. Wow. So it's that common. Yeah. And, and you think about that's that's a lot, but most of the time this is something that goes just completely unnoticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something, again, that getting the collective group to rally behind and um, be their cheerleader is really a big thing. So oftentimes I tell people that they have, um, they, they tend to say that they were kind of a shell of their old self. Yeah. So they just don't, they're not as outgoing as they were, or they, um, you know, they, they tend to just want to keep to themselves, um, really trying to make a conscious effort for that. And that's again, kind of where the cardiac rehabilitation comes in is that we're creating a community of people that have had the same yeah. exact thing as you and being able to talk talk to someone else that's gone through the exact same thing with that you have, a lot of times it does make it easier to grasp and understand that what I'm feeling is normal. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to take me a little bit of time for me to realize that I am better off than probably what I think or what I thought. Um, And that's really where you got to kind of get that community behind you and whether it be just your family or whether it be, you know, you go to a cardiac rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and and you talk to those people. Um, that's a really, really big thing for, Mm -hmm. for people to do after they've had a cardiac event. So do you screen for depression? So we do. Yes. Um, we do after someone's had an event. Um, and it's something that depending on their, on their circumstance, um, some people were depressed prior to, and there's, you know, it, it it can get worse from that. Um, a lot of times is we're just in constant communication with our doctor. So if it's something that we screen for and we are realizing, Hey, they've got some depressive symptoms. Um, let's, talk to their doctor and then the doctor can make a decision on that. So that's not something that we make the decision on, but I can tell, or we can tell just on our screening process, if someone is depressed and how far do we need to take this? A lot of our patients, they feel like they're, like they're depressed or saddened after this. And then once they kind of get into a couple of weeks of the cardiac rehab, they start to feel a whole lot better. They, they feel Good. more confident in being able to what, what they want to do. Um, those are all things that are really big for us. And that's a, again, that's a small victory is that if you feel like you couldn't go back to work because you had this heart event and now all of a sudden you say, Hey, mm-hmm. I feel good. I feel like I can go back to work. That's a big thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm glad to, that we had a chance to talk to touch on that and talk about it. Cause I, like I said, I hear it all the time and yet you, um, you hear it in one-on-one conversations, but you don't hear it out in the community as being discussed. So, and perhaps that's because of that stigma with mental health, any, you know, conditions anyway, but, um, certainly, you know, 
let's let's treat the whole person. I love that you're screening for it and that you're taking action yes. and, and encouraging that. So um, thank you um, for what you do and for being that coach and cheerleader for the patients that you serve. Um, what are they? You mentioned the American Heart Association. Are there other websites or resources that you would encourage people to check out, either on the prevention side or because they're this is their life right now? They're living this um, heart disease and, and recovering from a heart attack. Yeah. So, so some other things that people that we tend to send people to a lot is uh, uh, American Association of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Rehabilitation, which is okay. a lot, but yeah. it's, it really just stands for AACVPR.com. dot okay. com. Um, they actually have a lot of good good resources for being preventative, um, as well as secondary prevention is what, what we tend to call it too. So after someone's had a heart attack and what they can kind of do, um, really for us, and, and this is not just because it is what I do, but I think a bigger thing is that trying to prevent the secondary Mm -hmm. part is going through a cardiac rehabilitation program because, um, you get to talk to people like myself as well as other people that have been through it and you get to hear the success stories and maybe what didn't have, didn't work and what did work. Um, and not just from, from myself, but also from, from patients that have been through it. So, um, uh, you know, those are the two big ones that I tend to go to, um, really after you've had a heart attack, you really should be going through a cardiovascular rehab. So great. So. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we have lots of visitors that come to our fitness center who have graduated from their cardiac uh, rehab programs and uh, enjoyed the equipment. We have some of those uh, same device equipment pieces at, at our senior center. And so we would encourage anybody to come and visit us to exercise with us. We'd love to have you. Jeremy, thank you uh, for spending your time with, with me and with our audience and for sharing with us all this great information. If anyone um, has questions, wants to get a hold of Jeremy um, or the folks at IU, what's a good way to reach? out and, and get a hold of somebody at IU? So um, a, a good way. So our direct telephone number to our cardiac rehab is area code 317-217-2983. Um, that's really the best way to get a hold of us. Um, we do need a physician's order to start anybody in cardiac rehab, but there are there are ways that we can take care of that if you just need to talk to somebody and say, this is something that you would like Great. to do. Um, we can make sure that we're giving you recommendations. So um, that's really the best way. And, and if you have any questions, feel free to call us because I, I really am here for the community and that's what we want to try to help be preventative of cardiovascular disease in the future. Thank you. Well, uh, Hendricks County Senior Services certainly appreciates what um, you all are doing at IU Healthwest Hospital. We appreciate your support of our heart health events uh, that, that are this month, and um, but what, for really for what you do year round, we see uh, patients that are yours that come to us, and we're grateful um, that they are are continuing on that path of good good health and want to continue what they've what they've already learned. So, thank you for your time, and I look forward to uh, meeting with this audience again next month. Yeah. Thank you and have a good evening. This has been Conversations About Living Young with your host, Marina Kears, Executive Director of Hendricks County Senior Services. This program has been presented by Duke Energy.